Christmas is just a few days away. So we're taking a quick break from our series on Ephesians to take a look at the significance of Christmas. You know, as you get older, it gets busier during this season. And it gets harder to just sit down and let the message of Christmas sink all the way in. So let's do that now. Let's pause for a moment for listening to Christmas. And to do that, we're going to take a look at one of the classic passages of Christmas, the visit of the wise men. You know, the difficulty with passages like this is that it's so familiar and nostalgic that it's easy to miss the raw power of its significance for us. So as I read it to you now, I invite you to read it again with fresh eyes and ears and see for yourself what Christmas is all about. Matthew 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now that's a beautiful story, right? Now maybe you might be saying, yeah, that's a heartwarming story. But that's just it. It's just a story, right? You don't believe it really happened, right? It's a made-up story to hype up Jesus. Well, think about it. What's with all these magi and star stuff? Isn't that astrology? Yes. And everywhere else in the Bible, people who get involved in that kind of stuff are always put in a bad light. Any Jew who read this story would have been skeptical rather than convinced by this story. That's why many people have said no Christian writer would have made up a story like this to hype up Jesus. Well, then why does Matthew not only talk about magi, but actually put them in a positive light here? The only reason is because it really happened. In fact, aside from verse 9, many historians will tell you nothing about this story is historically improbable. The visit of the Magi is real. It really happened. This is a historical account, and that's why we have to learn its message for us today. What is Christmas trying to tell us? From this passage, it's going to show us two things. 
Christmas reveals God's heart and it reveals our heart. So first of all, let's look at how it reveals God's heart. When we think about Christmas, Christmas is all about the birth of Christ. But it's also about the way that God announces the birth of Christ. That's what makes this passage so fascinating because it's not primarily talking about the birth of Christ. It's talking about the way God announces it. And the way that God announces it reveals so much about His heart and why He gave us Christmas. Or put it this way, think about it like this. Suppose your baby, newborn baby, was born today. Who are the first people you would call? How would you tell them about it? Probably you'd send a picture to your family's group chat, and then next you'd send it to your closest friends, right? Why? Because these are the people who are close to your heart. These are the people who have been waiting eagerly for your baby to be born. These are the people who would rejoice greatly at that news. Who then does God first announce the birth of Jesus to this world? And the answer is fascinating and instructive because this passage shows us that God first calls the lowly and the meek, the weak, the humble, he first calls them because these are the people who are close to his heart. These are the people who have waited eagerly for this news and they're going to rejoice greatly. See, you can see, you can see this from this passage. When it says there, Magi from the East came. Well, who are these Magi? Some traditions call these the wise men, and that's really what they are. They are the smart people of that era. You know, today, we interpret the world through the lens of modern science. But in ancient times, they interpreted the world through astrology and dreams. That was the sophisticated science of their time. That's where the learned and educated men went. And everybody knew that the best astrologers came from the East. So when it says there, Magi from the East came, these are the people who are your professors in Harvard, in Oxford, in Yale, in La Salle. These are the best of the best, right? In fact, they're rich enough that they can give lavish gifts for Jesus. Most likely, these are men who have deep connections, who have influence, and they have high positions in society. So these magi, they're smart, they're rich, they're powerful. They're part of the high society, right? But notice, down there in verse 11, by the time they reached Jesus, Jesus was a child. He's not a newborn baby anymore. In fact, Mary and Joseph are no longer in the manger. They've found a house. So all the manger scenes that you have, the decorations, the depictions that you see, they're all wrong because there was no wise men yet. They only arrived later on. But the manger scenes got one thing right, and that is there were in fact shepherds in the manger. The Gospel of Luke tells us that the first people, aside from Mary and Joseph, 
The first people to see Jesus, the first people to receive Christmas are the lowly, weak, poor shepherds. God first brings Christmas to the lowly shepherds before the high and mighty and rich magi. In fact, the magi had to study a star. They had to ask around. They had to search for Jesus. But what does the Gospel of Luke tell us about the shepherds? God sends them an angel with specific instructions where to find Jesus. And then God sends them a whole multitude of angels to sing to them about Christmas. So the magi get a star, but the shepherd gets the royal invitation. Why? Because God's heart is close to the lowly, the poor, the weak, the humble. These are the people who understand just how much they need Jesus. These are the people who would rejoice at the news of the Savior. They understand the joy of Christmas, and so they get it first. So the shepherds get it, but eventually the magi also see Jesus. Why? They're rich. They're okay in life. They're doing great. Why do they get Christmas? Because in their hearts, they were poor and humble. Even though they had everything in life, they were truly wise because they saw that before God, they were just as poor and lowly just as anyone else. And so they journeyed far to search for the truth, to see Jesus and give him gifts and bow down to him. These magi were truly wise because they were lowly and humble in heart. And so God leads them to Christmas and they get its joy. So the lowly shepherds get it and the high magi get it, but who are the last people to know? Ironically, the last people to know that the king of the Jews had been born are the Jewish people themselves, the Jewish leaders. Why? Because those who are high and mighty in their own eyes are the ones furthest away from Jesus. They don't see their need. Why do they need a savior? Why do I need a savior? Why do I need a king? I don't need that. And so they never understand what makes Christmas such wonderful news. So listen, from the lowly shepherds to the high magi and everyone in between, Christmas is for all of us. No one's excluded from receiving the wonderful news of Christmas. But only the lowly and the meek and the poor in heart are weak enough to even want Jesus. They're weak enough that they understand they need help. They recognize their great need for a better king, for a better savior than themselves. And so they receive Christmas with great joy. Are you weak enough to see that? Do you have the joy of Christmas? I'm not talking about the parties, the food, the traditions, though even the warm feelings, although those are great things, right? You know there's a deeper joy out there that you just can't seem to grasp for yourself.
It's out there and you've been searching for it your whole life, whether you know it or not. Christmas means God has come to give you that joy you've always longed for. Do you want it? Then all you need is to recognize that you are in need. Be thirsty, be hungry, be weak enough and go to Jesus and Christmas shall be yours. The joy, the peace, the promise, it's yours. You shall have the joy that Christmas brings. In fact, maybe you're a Christian. You once knew that joy, but somewhere along the way, you sort of lost it. It's diminished. The astonishment, the wonder, it's gone. Do you want it back? Then all you need is to be weak enough in your own eyes. Be thirsty again. Be hungry again. Be lowly again. And Christmas shall be yours. Joy is on the way because God's heart is close to those who are lowly and meek, to the humble, to the poor in their hearts. That's what Christmas reveals about God's heart. And Christmas also reveals, secondly, our hearts. It reveals our hearts. And here's what I mean by that. When your king is in a distant country, right? He's out. You can live your life practically like he doesn't exist. But when the king draws near, when he's at your front door, he's buzzing the doorbell, you're forced to decide what you want to do with him. His presence is too large, too near for you to just put it, push him aside, right? And Christmas means the king of kings has come. He's drawn near. What will you do with him? That's why Christmas, the message of Christmas, always, always reveals our hearts about ourselves and about him. And from this passage, you can see how people are responding to the news of Jesus. There's three ways that people generally respond to the message of Christmas. There's an active aggression, there's passive reception, and you can earnestly seek. So maybe some of us, we're like King Herod. We're actively aggressive against Jesus. See, when Herod hears about the news about Jesus, in verse 16, we find out his intentions. He says, kill all the boys in Bethlehem. When he hears the news about Jesus, he tries to put an end to Jesus as quickly as possible. You know why? Because Jesus is always a threat to those who want to be kings. He's always a threat to those who want to be kings, right? Remember, the Magi are important people. So when they came to Jerusalem, news quickly came to Herod. And when he heard about what the Magi were talking about, he took this seriously. Remember, again, notice, nobody's making fun of their astrology. They took this star stuff seriously. Ancient people believe that the comets and the stars predicted the rise and fall of kings. So for example, later on, Emperor Nero would reportedly slaughter a number of nobles because of some comet's prediction. So when Herod heard about these magi talking about the star, about the king of the Jews, he understood what that meant. 
Jesus was a threat to his kingship, and Jesus still is today. See, all of us want to be our own kings and queens. We want to be the ones in charge of our own lives. We want to say for ourselves what we ought to do with our lives. But Christmas means the real king has come, and you have to step down from that throne. He's a threat, but Jesus is actually wonderful news for those who are lowly and meek, for those who are humble. You know why? Because they understand, they always understood that they are highly unqualified to be their own kings and saviors. They understand that. And so to hear that Jesus has come, it's actually a relief that a better king, in fact, the greatest king, has come to rule over them. It's a relief. It's wonderful news. But for those who are high and mighty in their own eyes, for those who think they are competent to run their own lives, Jesus is a threat to their sovereignty. So you see, what does Herod do? It's tragic because Herod actually goes out of his way to investigate the truth. He goes out of the way to learn the truth about Jesus. He doesn't just get one or two people. See, he gathers all the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He's asking them about the Messiah. And then he gets the Magi, and then what does he tell them? He tells them to search carefully. He asks for the exact time when Jesus was born. So here's a man who's looking for the truth. Intently, actively, he's looking for the truth, but... He's not looking to acknowledge it. He's not looking to submit to the truth. He's looking for a way to protect his own interests. You all know people like that, right? People who who deny the truth because they want to protect themselves. They want to protect their own agendas. Maybe these are the people who can't acknowledge their own mistakes. They don't receive criticism that well. Maybe they pick and choose certain facts to their own agendas, right? And we like to think, you know, ah, I'm more objective than that. I'm more fair than that. I'm really searching for the truth. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says every person is living in some degree of self-denial. Every person is suppressing some truth about God in some way because we're all trying to protect our own interests. We're all trying to remain kings and queens of our lives. So listen, I don't know where you are with Jesus and Christianity. You may be a Christian, you may be a skeptic, I don't know. But every one of us has to ask ourselves at some point, how honest am I with myself about the truth out there. How honest am I? How honest am I with myself? See, my question to you is, what's really stopping you from Jesus? Is it an intellectual doubt or there's more to it? Is it, an, is it a heart unwillingness? Has it more to do with your head or with your heart? Every one of us has to ask ourselves objectively how honest we are with the truth. Have we searched for it objectively, 
looking to see and acknowledge the truth. Now, perhaps you're not opposed to Jesus like Herod. And maybe you're more like the second group of people. You're more like the chief priests and teachers of the law. They're passively accepting Jesus, passively receiving him. See, when it says these are the teachers, the chief priests, that means they're the top spiritual leaders. If anyone was supposed to be excited about the Messiah, it was supposed to be these guys. But when the Magi come, when Herod consults them, what do they do? Nothing. They do absolutely nothing about Jesus. Oh yeah, they know the scriptures. In fact, they're experts. They know where the Messiah is to be born. They believe it. But when Jesus comes, they sit on their hands and they do nothing. It's not a problem of ignorance. They just take him for granted. And the sobering thing is, these are spiritual leaders. That means they may very well be the people serving in our ministries, the people leading Bible studies, the people leading our prayers, quoting Bible verses left and right, and yet their hearts aren't moved one bit by Christ. So if you see yourself as a Christian, I want to ask you, what does Christmas reveal about your heart? When you reflect about the message of Christmas, does a deep joy well up inside you? Does it bring you great joy or are you unaffected? What does Christmas reveal about your hearts? Hmm? The people who sing for joy when Christmas came are like the third group of people. They're like the magi. They're earnestly seeking for the truth. See, what do they do? They earnestly sought for the truth. They followed the truth. But unlike Herod, they actually acknowledged the truth. They were willing to submit the truth, to follow it, no matter where it took them, no matter what it cost them. They will follow the truth, no conditions, no requirements, just give me the truth and I'll follow through. See, that's what the Magi did and it ends with joy for them. See, what happens? God, by His grace, I don't know why, I don't know where, but God sends them a star to tell them that a king has been born. Now, here's what we do know. Scientists tell us that around the time of Jesus' birth, there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn that formed a very great star in the heavens. Was that what they saw? I don't know. But clearly, they saw something, and they took it as a sign that a king has been born. And so they searched for it in the region of Judea. Now, it's a big, wide region, and they don't know where. So where would you naturally go search first? You would naturally go first to the most important city of Jerusalem. That's where Herod is. That's where the top spiritual leaders are. That's probably where a great king would be born, right? Probably in some big palace. Wrong. Remember, these magi are important people. They have important matters to attend to. 
But they go through this long, difficult journey. They search around for the truth. And where does God lead them? Where does the truth land them? They land on a small town of Bethlehem to a small house where an unknown couple has a poor baby. And they submitted to that truth. They followed through. See, what don't they do? The Magi, they don't get offended by it. They don't think this is below their dignity. They don't, they're not too self-important about it. They don't say, oh, that's not supposed to happen. This is below the dignity of a king. They don't do that. What do they do? They followed the truth. And so God led them to Jesus. And they bowed down and gave him gifts. Why would they do that? Think about that. These magi, they heard no wise words from Jesus. I don't think he was speaking at that time. They saw no miracles. They saw nothing to convince them that this was a great king. And yet they worshipped. I have a year-old daughter, and believe me, there's nothing about a crying, drooling, falling baby that makes you say, ah, that's the king. Nothing. You don't do that. But these magi, they walk in to a baby in the lap of a poor woman and they bow down. What would make them do that? The only reason they would do that is if God opened their eyes to see the true greatness of this king. God opened their eyes so that they didn't just see a weak, poor baby. They saw a great king, the king that they have always longed for. And so they bowed down and they worshipped. You see, they were humble enough. They were lowly enough in their hearts. They were meek enough to follow the truth no matter where. And therefore, God opens their eyes to see the greatness of this weak and poor king. And it ends in their absolute joy. Are you weak enough to see that? Are you weak enough in your own eyes that you're willing to follow the truth? Just give me the truth. No more bargaining, no more negotiations, no conditions or requirements. I just need the truth. Are you weak enough to do that? That means that you search the truth, investigate it, see for yourself who this Jesus is. What has he done? What is the truth about Jesus? Just give it to me. I need it. Come lowly and meek to him. And I pray that God, by his grace, would open your eyes to see the true greatness of who this king is. Because that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas tells us that true greatness lies in becoming lowly and meek, weak and humble. That's where true greatness is. That's where God's heart is close to. And in fact, that's where Jesus went to. Because Christmas means the Son of God became weak. He became poor. Weak, lowly, poor, he became that. He became a baby. 
and eventually he became crucified because that was the only way to give us Christmas. The joy, the peace, the promise. He goes there for us, for our Christmas. There's greatness. There's the greatness of that king. See past the cross. See past everything and see his greatness. Come weak and meek, humble and lowly. And Christmas shall be yours. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, how humble your heart is and how closely you go to those who are humble in heart. So Lord, open our eyes that we may become lowly in heart, poor before you, Lord. Help us recognize our need so that once more, Father, deepen our joy at the thought of Christ coming to be our King. Lord, this is great news for us. Help us rejoice in that. Help us truly worship this Christmas. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Christmas. We want to honor you. We want to worship you. All the glory be yours this Christmas, Lord. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who became weak for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.